Radio. Conversations with Daniel Noor. Tackling the tough questions on cradio.org.au. Hello Cradio listeners, my name is Daniel Noor and when I entered the Catholic Church on September the 21st 2013, I brought all of my confusion, anxiety and uncertainty right in with me. As a young journalist searching for the truth, every week I'll be interviewing an expert on a hot topic and trying to get straight answers on the moral, political and social issues of the day. I invite you to join me and to have your questions about today's tough topics answered as well. This is Conversations with Daniel Noor. Father Patrick McInerney uh, is a Sydney-based priest who works with the St. Columban Mission Society Centre for Christian-Muslim Relations. He feels passionately about the subject and has been working in the field of Muslim-Christian dialogue since he was first assigned to Pakistan in 1979. With recent news events and the ongoing kind of heat that the Muslim community has come under, I felt that this would be the perfect person to speak to about the issue of Muslim-Christian relations. Um, Father, thank you so much for joining us today. Delighted to be able to speak with you. Father, we're really interested, I suppose, in what it is that made you, uh, a man who lives in Sydney after all, which isn't perhaps the most... uh, I suppose, central location of the world and certainly is removed from many Muslim lands, interested in this field specifically? Well, the obvious answer to that is my my lived experience in uh, Pakistan. I was assigned there for over 20 years. During that time, I actually went to Rome and I studied uh, Arabic and Islamics in Rome at a pontifical university. Now, that indicates how seriously the Catholic Church takes dialogue with Muslims, that there is a pontifical university, a place which is specifically designed for preparing priests, sisters and other people for dialogue with Muslims, for working in Muslim-majority countries, for engaging across these boundaries that uh, of Christian Christianity and Islam. Mm. And... With that in mind, Father, do you feel that progress, I suppose, has been made and that we've somehow improved our relationship as, I suppose, um, it's difficult to call Christians a community, but I suppose as a religious force in the world with Muslims? Um, Well, I'd I'd say definitely yes. Absolutely yes. Mm. Of course there have been improvements. And, of course, there are enduring problems. There's still difficulties. Um, and sometimes it's the Christians who have the difficulties and sometimes it's the Muslims who have the difficulties. Sometimes it's the Christians who are the problematic persons. Sometimes it's the Muslims who are the problematic persons. So it's the, the extremists on both ends are the ones who, um, oddly enough, they, they almost mirror each other. Uh, But the vast bulk of people in the middle, mainstream communities, they have no problem. They get on with each other. They get on with life. They get on with work. They're living and working side by side. They have no problems at all. Mm. Father, can I ask you in in really a direct way? So we're in a a period of tension now. You know, the recent attacks in France, the... um, 
the attacks in Beirut, uh, Ankara, you know, in Turkey, all of these are Islamist attacks. Not just that, but the organizations responsible for them have claimed in uh, an almost, uh, I suppose, glorified way that they are responsible, uh, as though it's some kind of accreditation for them, mm-hmm. so that they can add to their CV of terror. And what is so troubling about that is that it's so conspicuously evil and that the um, approach of theologians and academics has evidently been unable to prevent that um, tide, however limited comparatively it is, you know, proportionately, only very few Muslims engage in this kind of activity, but still has been ineffective and unable to prevent this these terrorist activities. And I I would ask you with that in mind, is Muslim-Christian tension a new phenomenon? Or is this something that we've always faced? Mm. I'd just like to take up a couple of things that you mentioned, and uh, you correctly said that these were Islamist attacks. Mm. Now, that's the correct word to use, I think. Uh, Sometimes you also hear the word jihadist attacks. Now, whether you use the word Islamist or jihadist, the point that is correct that you're making is that this is an ideological take on Islam. It's actually a perversion of Islam. The acts of violence and terrorism are actually contrary to explicit Quranic texts and they are contrary to established Islamic principles. So technically, they have nothing to do with Islam as such, Islam as it is interpreted within the mainstream tradition. Mm. So this is a fringe ideological take on Islam. So you are quite correct to call it Islamist and that it is not Islam and Muslims per se who are involved in this. Um, the second point I'd like to make is is also, yes, obviously we're talking about this issue. It is current news. It is prominent in the press and in mm. the media. But we, we need to also keep a perspective on this. Um, in fact, deaths from terrorism worldwide are relatively few. Um, just to give you an example, in 2012, uh, sadly, something like 11,000 people were killed in terrorist attacks. But in the same year, there were nearly half a million homicides. Mm-hmm. So you know, people committing murderous crime is 40 times more uh, happening than terrorist attacks. And if you look another figure, for example, in Australia this year alone, 730 people will die from domestic violence. So on average, two women per week, which is horrendous. And yet all the attention is given up to terrorism and, of course, largely associated wrongly with Islam. It is, as you said, Islamist or jihadist, not Islam per se. Um, yeah, and, and 
Father, I feel that that is, uh, while it's an important distinction to make when everyone considers themselves an expert and just a cursory glance at Facebook will reveal that suddenly we are surrounded by experts who here, you know, up until now have uh, remained silent and suddenly understand Muslim uh, Christian relationships throughout the ages. I still feel that this um, begs the question, is there somehow... Uh, I'm just going to ask, is Islam antithetical or somehow fundamentally incompatible with the values of secularism? Is that Islam per se, or is that Islamism? Mm. I would I would answer that Islam per se is not incompatible with secular society. I would also acknowledge that Islam, as it is practiced and has been practiced over centuries in various countries, it is largely a religious culture. Um, whereas I think uh, after the Enlightenment in Europe uh, and the separation of church and state, um, we are much more accustomed to a secular organization of society. Mm. Whereas Islam still is much more at home with a uh, as I said, a religious culture. So they are much more at home with having religious um, structures in their society and in their government. Um, mm. Father, um, I really want to take up a point that you mentioned earlier because in my eagerness to just get through, I suppose, like the overall kind of overarching view of things, which is where have we come, why is this still an issue and all of that, I, I do find it very intriguing that you mentioned that the Quran never actually explicitly says, correct me if I'm wrong, are you saying that the Quran does not in any way encourage violence against women, um, violence against non-believers, and that it's not the inspiration for the violence that terrorists claim um, they've been inspired to, to undertake, if that it's not in there, is that correct? No, that's not correct, and, and that's not quite what I said. Um, of course, there are violent texts in the Quran, and it would be impossible for there not to be violent texts in the Quran, because Islam was forged in the heat of a battle, in mm. the heat of a contest between the Meccan merchants and this new religious movement of Islam. Now, the merchants and their, you know, their allies were determined to wipe out the Muslim community because they saw them as a threat to their trade and to their livelihoods and to their business. Um, so they made determined efforts to wipe out the Muslims. So obviously the Muslims defended themselves and so you will find in the in mm. the Quran verses such as kill the unbelievers. So there was a time when Muhammad and his tribesmen were a minority in Mecca. Yes. That province of um, the, the Arabian Peninsula, that they were a minority and that they were on the defense in order to in order to protect themselves. Is that right? That's correct. Not, not so much in Mecca. In Mecca, yes, they were a minority and they actually suffered persecution for... Um, the best part of 10 years and it was only after that 622 they migrated to Medina yes and it was after the migration that the Meccans 
three times sent out armies to wipe them out. And uh, from Medina, they established their base and they gradually um, increased their numbers and in the end were victorious and Mecca capitulated in a peaceful surrender. So it was an evolution of uh, the emergence of the power, I suppose, of, of Islam as, a, as um, the new um, establishment on the Arabian Peninsula and spread from there, of course, uh, within 100 years. It has spread from China to Spain. And, and, and it's been very successful um, in its spread. We often hear uh, Islamists claim this idea that they are restoring, I mean, when I say Islamists specifically, the Islamic State and Daesh, who say things like, we will restore a Muslim government, a worldwide Muslim government, called a, a caliphate, if you like. And uh, I can't see that that notion is purely political and that it is somehow in its essence... And this, is a, and this is now a claim that I'm making as, as someone who does not really, it must be said, read the Quran cover to cover. So, so tell me, why is this idea of an Islamic state now uh, an important, if you like, principle, philosophy of Islamists today? And, and is, does it not somehow originate in the, in the, in the tenets, in the principles of the, of, of the Quran and of Islam itself? Okay. A very important principle to establish here is the following. Text without context is pretext. Text without context is pretext. So, yes, the Islamists and the jihadists will find justification for their interpretation of Islam in the text and in the tradition. Um, but the mainstream Muslim community worldwide, the living tradition of Islam, interpret the text in quite a different way from that literalist, fundamentalist um, version, which is what the Islamists tend to. So that's why the uh, Islamists are such an anomaly, and that's why... You know, they go against the teachings of the Quran and of um, the tradition in terms of the, you know, the living tradition. What is the living tradition of the Quran in terms of the political presence of Muslims in the world today? Mm. Uh, well, I'm not sure how to answer that because it will vary from place to place and time to time. Uh, yes. Uh, because you know, obviously situations differ. But I think the point that's really important that we have to make today, and I think this is a struggle for all of us, is that we're actually living in a globalized world. We are one world and one human community. Um, in a way that wasn't the case before, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. The fact that we can talk together like this um, over you know, hundreds of miles instant media, uh, instant global communications, um, the whole world, if there are not Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and Baha'is living in our neighbourhood as a result of migration and uh, refugees and all those sorts of things, if they're not in your neighbourhood, they're actually living, they're in your living room 
because they come in through our TV screens and through our mobile devices and through our other devices. So we are brought together in ways that have never happened as uh, in before in human history. And so we have to find ways of living together and getting on with each other. And I think that's, to me, is the basic problem with the idea of an Islamic state as a place of purity where people will live according to a particular religion. It's just not credible anymore in a globalized world. Christ Christianity has also practiced this same type of uh, political establishment. You know, basically we had Christendom for 1,600 years. And, um, you know, it's a mixed bag. It had good things about it, also had bad things. It had crusades. It had uh, the Inquisition and so on. And it's where Christianity was imposing itself by law and by force and by violence. Yes, but Father, many people would say that contrary, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think it needs to be said, the Crusades was fundamentally, yes, political, but necessary because there was an element of self-defense because uh, you know, enemy uh, forces were invading on Christian lands. And, and, and that, that is political, but that's not to say that, that that's necessarily wrong. And so then I, I suppose what I'm asking is, is the spirit, the spirit of violence, a kind of reckless, if you like, prerogative to do cruelty unto others in the achievement of some higher goal, an element of Islam? No, definitely not. Um, you're familiar with the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Exactly. The same principle is found in the Hadith uh, where it says, No one of you is, is truly a believer until he wishes for his brother what he wishes for himself. It's the same principle, the same value, uh, the mutual, the ethic of mutuality, of reciprocity. Um, so, uh, it's actually in all of the world's religions. So that's the basis on which we should live with each other and how we should treat each other and how we would expect others to treat us. Um, yes, there are extremists and minorities who violate that and who try to impose their narrow views by violence, but that is contrary to the mainstream tradition. It's contrary to the mainstream. And is it contrary to the mainstream, If you, to history? Is it contrary to history, Father? to the conduct of Muslims, say, as they spread from uh, Saudi Arabia up north and then through Spain and the Iberian Peninsula? Is it contrary to the conduct of, um, of especially Muslim uh, military forces in world history? Violence was a part of the story. Yes, there were Muslim armies, but it was much more than that. That was only one factor. When the Muslims came out of the Arabian Peninsula... They actually, the, the peoples they were meeting were fellow Semites who were under um, Latin and Greek rule. And so they were seen as being, you know, our own people. And so they were welcomed. Uh, so the stereotype that Islam was spread by the sword is false. Um, there were financial factors involved as well. Uh, if you paid the, uh, the Muslim tax, 
which was less than what the Romans or the Greeks were asking, well, hello, <laughs> of course, people are going to go with the people who where they, it, it costs them less. Uh, so there were financial factors, there were ethnic factors, there were political factors, there were social factors, there was also the quality on, of life of the, of the Muslims. They were seen as being good, decent people. And there was also at times a military and uh, you know, expansionist um, extending Islamic rule. But it wasn't always even um, expanding Islam. It was expanding Islamic rule. They weren't forcing the people to become Muslim. That only happened over a period of centuries. It didn't happen overnight. So there wasn't violence used in that sense. And in fact, using violence and coercion for in Islam is forbidden. No coercion in matters of religion. La ikraha No conversion, no compulsion in religion. And that's an established principle. And, and that's why what the, the ISIS people are doing it's just so contrary to Islam. Mm. Father, why is it so easy for us to claim that it's Muslims, it's Muslims, rather than, well, what you've just mentioned, which is a whole litany of other circumstances, including politics, uh, you know, the, 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 the desire, greed, the desire for wealth, government, you know, the increase of civilization all of this so why mm. is it so easy just why is it so easy to say it's muslims muslims are responsible and i would um suggest to you today that on my uh facebook feed i recently posted uh, a link that i found about um a, an egyptian woman who converted to um christianity and that she was killed by uh, the uh the father figure or the husband who didn't allow it you know and and these, we now we have countless stories like this of honor killings and, and that kind of a thing. So, so I, I suppose what I'm asking is why this, um, yes, why the, the ease with which we accuse, criticize, and, and if you like, indict Muslims? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> What's the Eighth Commandment? I can't say. <laughs> Thou shalt not bear false witness. It sounds very arcane. It sounds a bit quaint, you know. Who would be going around bearing false witness? You know, none of us would do that. But in fact, it is very prevalent. The example that you gave, absolutely true. I have no doubt about it. Um, and there are other examples of that type of wrong behavior. Yes. Um, now, there's what? Uh, over 2 billion Muslims in the world? Yes. Uh, most of those people, the vast majority, 99.9%, have nothing to do with those sorts of behaviours. And yet they all get tarred with the same brush. They all suffer a bad reputation because of the wrong behaviour of a tiny minority. Mm. And, and that's basically false witness. We're giving false witness against our neighbour. Um, and I think we have to resist that and be much more uh, informed and sophisticated in our analysis of what's going on. 
Um, mm. And particularly in these days, you know, it's so easy to um, sensationalize and uh, oversimplify and say it's the Muslims. Um, no, we need to come together. Um, as I, I saw on Facebook a post that which said, um, don't feed the fears. Mm. Don't feed the fears. You know, tell positive stories. Yes, there are negative stories. Admit the negative stories. Tell those too. But make sure that it's proportional and balanced and that there are as many good stories and even more good stories because that represents the vast majority. Mm. Father, we thank you so much for your time. I'm sure that this will generate conversation. I suppose people um, maybe feel powerless, and when one feels powerless, one you you become intransigent in your view. I suppose a kind of um, desire for, for for power, for control in what is ultimately a very chaotic situation, which is that these terrorist attacks came, seem to come out of nowhere and seem so, you know, just so horrendously cruel. But I hope that this conversation um, will help many people to come to terms with some of the facts and some of the history that, you know, we really do have to be a bit more informed about in order to make any kind of proper judgments. And we do thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Uh, there are plenty of other great podcasts right here on Cradio for your listening pleasure. I encourage you to, uh, to browse the website. You've been listening to Conversations with Daniel Nool. You've been listening to an episode of Conversations with Daniel Noor. And for more episodes of Conversations and for more talks, interviews and shows, visit cradio.org.au.